If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. This is another of our popular listeners' choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Our guest today is Annika Overton. Annika's an eventing specialist coach. She's also a mindset coach. Now, she's ridden and competed and coached at an international level. We'll talk about that a bit later in the interview, but we'll start off with a favourite quote. How are you today, Annika? I'm fabulous. Thank you, Gwyneth. <laughs> Wonderful news. Annika, favourite quote. I know that, you know, you sort of, you were going to tell me before the interview and I said, no, no, surprise me. So tell me now, what's your favourite quote? Yeah, well, look, anything from John Wooden, I just, yep. just love him. One of my favourites is success is a peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing you've made the effort to become the best of which you are capable. Yeah. And to me, in some ways, it sort of rounds up the idea that it's a whole journey. We have, you know, goals are important and they're hugely important, of course, but if you're not enjoying the journey, often you'll get to the goal and you'll complete the goal and then it's oh, now what or what next? Or you'll find that it hasn't actually given you that feeling of self-satisfaction that you had hoped for. So if you sort of make the journey as a constant progression, Mm -hmm. I find that it becomes a lot more fulfilling for people. Yep, yep. And you know what else I liked about that quote was about the best which you are capable. It doesn't mean that everyone's against everyone else so much, but you're just against yourself and doing the best you can and doing better than you did yesterday. And if you keep doing that and doing the best you can, then you're well and truly on the right track, aren't you? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And look, not every every person I work with wants to go to the Olympics or wants to ride three-star. They're all just wanting to do the best that they can. So, mm-hmm. And it's all relative. Yep, yep, yep. And balance with their life and their other things that they've got going on in their life as well. Oh, Absolutely. Yep, yep. Tell us a bit about how you started with horses, you know, and also what's your first memories or your first memory of ever having anything to do with horses? Yeah, well, horses were always hugely important to me. None of my family rode or had anything to do with horses. Mum was a a single mother. She was an obstetric nurse. So I know that, well, I remember I knew every paddock and every horse around our house at my grandparents' house and I remember always going into the kitchen and getting wheat bix and getting breakfast cereals out to try and bring these horses up to the paddocks or up to the gates so I could climb on their backs. And Mum would lose me for hours and I would usually be under a tree with a horse or on the back of a horse. And I never knew these horses. How I didn't get myself killed, I don't know. But it was just a passion for me. And obviously Mum could never afford horses. So I was very, very lucky as a 10 or 11-year-old, I was actually given a broken-down pony that had um, bowed his tendon and and I was told that he was never going to be ridden so I could have this pony. And and that didn't bother me because I had a pony and it was my own and it was 
fabulous. <laughs> and yeah, this little pony, I um, just led him around for the first few months and just groomed him and loved him and just thought this is the bee's knees. And he came sound, so eventually jumped on him bareback and sort of walked around and eventually got a saddle on him and, and started riding the little horse. Well, he came sound and never had a lame day after that. And I had so much fun on Little Pony. He was just quiet and safe and sensible. And I was really, really lucky to have that grounding. And I was always working for friends to be able to adjust my horses there. Yep. But, gee, I had some fun with that pony. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? You know, I think of myself, you know, and the things that I used to do with horses. And now as a coach, I just shudder and think I wouldn't let anyone do that. Oh. You know, going and, and getting horses, coaxing them over with wheat bicks and just getting on their backs, you know, strange horses that you don't know. Certainly the thing that you don't do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking, actually, while I was thinking about this interview, it's some of the, the crazy things we did. I know where I used to adjust this pony, there was another little horse. He was about 14, two in the paddock, and no one ever came to look after him and didn't know whose he was. So I just jumped on and started riding this little pony, and, oh, he could be naughty, but he was great. And we eventually found out who owned him, and they gave me a free lease. Mm. And his favourite trick, actually, the little rat, was you would jump into a water jump and he would immediately stop and get down and roll. <laughs> and it was always a good way to bring me down. We, um, I went to Pony Club Championships and all sorts with this little pony. And I remember one day we were training and jumped into the water jump and this little pony did his normal thing, stopped and got down and rolled. And wasn't that big a deal. But then I realised as I sort of come up, that it was actually a runoff. The water jump was a runoff from the piggery up the hill. Oh, no. Well, I had the smell in my helmet, on my jollies. Where it, it was everywhere for weeks and weeks. <laughs> but the things we used to do with this pony, I remember, you know, we even would set up like an umbrella and we'd have competitions who could jump the umbrella and we'd pull out couches and we'd pull out everything in the paddock to jump. And I'd be horrified if any of my, any of my students did that now. But... <laughs> Just a mad kid. I'd never had, you know, mum could never afford lessons and I would just ride everyone else's ponies and people would give me horses to ride and, and take mm. them out. And, and, and so I was very lucky that I had so much help and just a lot of people offering me a lot of horses to ride. Mm, mm, mm. Must have had some enthusiasm though to uh, to want to get started. So thinking about that enthusiasm, were you always going to do something with horses and have horses in your life? Was that always going to happen or did you actually have to make yeah. a decision there? It's always going to happen? No question. I think mum worked out pretty early that I was never going to go to university. That wasn't up my alley. Mm-hmm. I guess all the school holidays I used to go out to, um, I'd work for people. And I remember working at the racing stables. I would go there sort of every holidays. And I remember we'd been hunting the weekend before. And by this stage, mum had actually bought me a thoroughbred. It was very, very hot mare. And we'd been hunting and, and I was struggling to hold this mare and I actually got out in front of the hunt master and got into a little bit of trouble with this and they jumping a fence before the hunt yes. master. And on the, the Monday following, I was just galloping, as you do when you're young and silly, galloping along the highway because it had recently rained and there was all these, the water, like the gullies were along the road yep, yep. and just flat and just jumping these gullies, having a wonderful time. And the farrier happened to drive past, I hadn't realised at the time, who was the hunt master. And I've got back to the yard, and well, did he give me a bombing? And here he is saying, you're wanting to have this horse quiet and calm, and, and this is what you're doing. Have you ever thought that maybe you actually need to school this horse to be calm? And it was the first time that I went, oh, you actually need to school a horse to be calm? 
And that's what made me realise that I needed to have lessons and I needed to actually start to learn more mm-hmm. about horses rather than just being a kid and doing all those crazy things. So I, I left home at 15 and started working for an equestrian centre as a working pupil at the other end of New Zealand. And that was when I was starting to have lessons you know, every day and I was working with the horses every day and it became from just being a crazy mad horse person to actually becoming more professional and more strategic around my schooling and yep. starting to understand so many concepts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably good that you sort of landed on your feet to work in an equestrian centre where um, with some sort of schooling and people around you to look up to, I suppose. Yeah, and I knew that mum could never afford to have me have the horses and do all those things that yeah, I wanted to yeah. do. And, and there was never any blame on mum for that. That was mm-hmm. just simply as it was. So sure. I knew that I had to go out and do it on my own and I had to make it happen. And that's actually where I really decided that I loved teaching. I was there for a couple of years and mm-hmm. sort of by the end I was doing a lot of teaching and just had this passion for helping people. And I was always on my own journey and I was you know, learning so much as I was going, but everything I was learning, I just couldn't wait to pass it on to somebody else. So when you started and thinking about people that would like to start in the horse industry who may not have ever done any coaching and, and may not even have control of their own horse, but you know they still would like to work with horses and do something, what do you think are the core skills and character traits that they need before they actually start working in the horse industry? Certainly no question is is passion. You have Mm -hmm. to really, really want it. And certainly if you don't have that financial backing behind you, you need to be able to walk up to people and ask for help or ask if you can. I used to watch every lesson and, and be a part of every horse event I could get to, anywhere I can expose myself to learning more, to meeting more people, to making connections, to asking for help, to doing whatever I could for somebody else so I could get have some lesson in return or something in return. So just putting in the hard hours and the, yeah, just putting in the work because it's, it's yep. tough, like there's some hard work, yep. <laughs> but it's, yep. it's so rewarding. Oh, well, what do you think is the best thing? So you're saying rewarding, but rewarding in what way? For me, certainly the connection. So connection with the horse as well as, you know, connection with those that you're working with. And also, you know, when you're out competing, being able to, connect with your riders and it's almost like you form a bit of a tribe and you support each other and bounce off each other because there's always downs there's always things that didn't quite work as well as you'd hoped or you know there's always failures and learning how to bounce back from those failures and learn from those failures but Winston Churchill once said there's something about the outside of a horse that's good for the inside of a man and yes just just that connection is what I love Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what about people who've influenced you you know you, you said that you're always interested in learning and ready to ask for help, who do you think has been instrumental in influencing you? Oh, well, I've been so, so blessed in the people that I've had in my life that have helped me. But probably two, two especially one was actually Tony Utendale. When I first moved from New Zealand out to Australia, I started working with Tony. <laughs> and he was just a brilliant mind, very, very classically dressage trained. Yep. But he would always make me carry a notebook and I was so lucky in the respect that every time I was on a horse, he was always, always there teaching me something. Every time yeah. he was schooling a horse, he would have me sit in the lessons and watch the lessons and he would be talking and working with the client, but also helping me as I went along. But, you know, we would often ride with music going, very classical music, and he taught me a lot about rhythm. And he actually, I remember once, he had this lovely Lipizzana Stallion Monty, mm-hmm. and this horse was, oh, he was just fabulous. 
But he started, he dropped the reins and then started, like he had a steering wheel in his hands and just PR from the Sarge and he'd come around and tempo changes all just without the reins, just as though he had the steering wheel. And he was the funniest, funniest man. And I just, just beautifully classically trained, but mm. always wanted to, wanted me to learn and wanted to teach. And, and I mean, one of my huge passions is, is learning, learning, yep. learning. Yep. I just, I think we can never stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about Catherine Wallace because you had a bit to do with her too, didn't you? I did. Oh, Kate, she's another one that's still now. I mean, she was riding up to 80. She's only just recently having a break for riding because she's had some illness. But always, always learning. She's always reading. We're always talking about new concepts and what's happening in Europe and the changes and different training techniques and trying things with horses. But I guess the best thing about being at Cates is because I was there a lot as a competition rider, we would event all winter. Mm. We would show jump all summer. We had the two breeding stallions. We were breaking in horses. We were handling the yearlings and the young horses. And Kate, just a freak with young horses, just getting them confident and brave and really willing to, you know, to work with us. All that, all the horses were just so quiet and calm and sensible. And so Kate really lifted that whole idea of, there's just so much to learn. Don't ever think you know it all. Just keep, you know, keep on going and yep. just really developing a good feel with young horses. I just owe so much to Kate. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. What about horses? Do you think has there been a particular horse that's influenced you or you want to talk about a couple? Well, there's one in particular, I guess, that a little horse called McMuffin and she was a, a warm blood thoroughbred mare and she was only probably 15 two, and at this stage, the string of horses that we were competing were sort of you know, big, big warm bloods or very talented horses. And little muffin was honestly, she's like a farewell pony, but just blowing up to this nice in odd hands. And I remember when she started off as a young horse, and she was like just stiff and just like riding a pony. And Kate always, she'll be one of your best horses. And I was like, no, she's awful. She's this and she's that. And we used to always laugh. So, Kate said, well, I'll school the, you know, school the pony and, and mm. you can compete it because I just didn't, really didn't enjoy to begin with riding this, this pony, I called it. And Kate was always brilliant at having horse, you know, really walk very actively and very forwards and up into the bridle where, you know, to start with, I'd dawdle along behind. But she was very, very good with this mare, McMuffin, and started to get her really bending. And I remember we took her on the Wimmera run, which is down in Victoria. It's, a, oh, it's usually a couple of weeks two weeks, I think it is, but it's about mm-hmm. 10 shows. And this little McMuffin ended up just bringing home all the money. She, <sighs> she would turn herself inside out not to touch a rail. And by the end, by the end, when I sort of finished working with her, she was about, she was jumping metre 30, metre 40 tracks. And often it felt like you were cantering to an oxer combination. And yeah. they were bigger than she was. And yeah. this little mare, she just knees up and she just had so much heart. So that really taught me don't always judge or you know, yep, by its yep, cover. Yep. And that was really good. Kate and I still have a lot of laughs about McMuffin. I've yeah. actually got a foal of hers at the moment. He's a four-year-old. And um, I'm just about to break him in, and I can't wait to get him going because he's built exactly the same. <laughs> I put, him, put her over a thoroughbred trying to get just something a little lighter and a little bigger. And, yeah. no, I got pretty much a bay McMuffin. <laughs> when you did so well on McMuffin, do you think that was your proudest moment or do you think that some of the bigger – you tell me your proudest moment. Well, there's been several. I was thinking about that, and, and there's certain different levels. Mm. 
One, no question, like probably the biggest, proudest moments are when I'm working with my clients and my students and, and they have a big success. Like yep. I really get a lot more fulfillment, I suppose, seeing the successes of my students. But another one was one of Kate's horses, a little horse called Mozzie, who was mother was Appaloosa, who Becky Allen's family, or Becky Jenkins now, did a lot of jumping with, with that line out of Kate's thoroughbred stallion. And he was a very thoroughbred-looking horse but had huge amounts of ability. And I remember as a young horse sort of jumping the metre tracks and the young horse tracks. I've got photos. He had a great big open back end and his fetlocks would be higher than the jump wings. He would just sort of open up and come down so steeply. Yeah. But we had the dressage with stars many years ago now. He, um, we rode in the five-year-old you know, jumping horse of the year. Mm-hmm. And there are all these imported horses and, and imported semen and beautifully bred horses. Not that that Mozzie wasn't, but just a very different type of horse. And he won. And just simply because his ability and his, and his technique, he wasn't always the easiest as a young horse to ride. The amount yep. of times we'd be trotting or cantering along and in a blink of an eye, he'd be three metres sideways and you're sort of sitting on the ground going, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? But it all came together on the day and this little horse just gave it his heart and that was a really emotional one for both Kate and I. Yep, yep. And I just remember when they called out the announcement, we were out the back of Werribee and we just hugged and hugged and we were both crying and it was just such a wonderful <laughs> moment. <laughs> oh, that's good. And, and it could, now I'm thinking, you know, you've sort of had a lot of more classical horsemanship, but you've done a lot of other stuff as well. So do you want to talk about you know, getting away from the classical competitions and that, and also too, you know, yeah. your mindset coach. So just tell us a little bit more about some of the other things that you've done and why, you know, why you've gone into different fields. Yeah. Well, it all started, to be honest, when I fell pregnant and I knew that children were going to be an important part of my life and family is huge to me. And I knew that I wanted three kids, so I decided that I was going to have them one straight after the other, which I did. They're 13 and 15 months apart. And I knew that there was going to be a time where riding consistently and competing was just going to be out of the question. So I'd heard about this, you know, Pirelli, and at that time I sort of just thought it was a whole lot of rope twirling jargon and, you know, was not negative against it, but I guess a bit judgmental because I didn't know enough. Mm. So I decided that rather than have that attitude, I'm going to get involved in this program because it would offer me a lot more that I can do on the ground and I can keep my horses ticking along even though I may not always be able to be on their backs. And it meant that I could have the kids around and if I only had 20 minutes, that was all good. And the Pirelli program just completely opened my eyes to a whole new world of just the horse behaviour, so the horsenality, the humanality, just being able to get a whole deeper connection and response and lightness from the horses. Mm -hmm. And I really, really enjoyed I mean, well, the first time that I ever cantered bareback and bridleless and cantered a a canter pirouette, it was just, that was probably another one of my highlights. I was actually pregnant at the time. But that was when I just went, oh, this is fantastic. And it was just a whole new feel and a new connection. Yep, yep. And it was also then that while I was sort of was down and out, if you you could say with the kids, I, I couldn't get out there as much. I remember there sitting in front of the TV changing one of the kids' nappies and a TV commercial came on for one of Tony Robbins' programs. It was Get the Edge, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've never been one for buying anything off the TV, but it caught my eye and I went, wow, this looks interesting. This is something that I can be doing because I'm always into, we've got to be growing all the time. If mm-hmm. we're not growing, then, you know, we're dying. So yep. when yep. I'm growing, I'm growing. So I went, right, I 
I've got this sort of bit of time where I can't be out doing as much as I want. And so I brought this program. And between that and Pirelli, a whole new world of opportunities opened up. But it really led me to the field of the NLP and the mindset coaching. And I just went, oh, there is so much I'm missing out on that I didn't even know existed. So then that became a really strong passion for me. Yep, yep. And you've used that then to help your own students, help your own horses. You know, you've used it really to complement what you've already done. Oh, no question. And after I had the third child, I actually went back. So I was full-time coaching at NEGS before New England Girls School, yep. before I had the children, and then went back coaching at NEGS after the last one. And it was really fun starting to play with a lot of these techniques and yeah. using different modalities with the kids. And so to some degree, they were like my guinea pigs. And it depended on certain students as to who we would play. You know, some, yeah, I couldn't, sure. they weren't at the stage to be able to handle that. And yeah. others, a lot of the older students, I'd say, righto, this is something we've learned. This is something we're going to try. Let's play with it together. Let's see what the outcome is. It's a really learning opportunity. And we had some great fun. <laughs> yeah, that's good, isn't it? And good that you can sort of take it just that little bit extra. And good for them too, your students just to have that world of something a little bit different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of them, they got really quite interested and quite involved and went on their own learning journeys as Good. well. Good. And it was really, I was really lucky at NEGS in the respect that not only are you teaching sort of eight to ten kids a day, five to six days a week, and you're out with them at competitions all the time, but we had a lot of outside coaches coming into the facility all the time. And, you know, these are Olympians and really, really high-level coaches and so I made a point that every coach that came into the facility that I spent as much time as I could talking with them being part of the lessons either having a lesson or watching my students being taught by them so I could look at well what did they do what did they say what was the connection that they made you know what language did they use how did the lesson flow and I learned so much from every single coach that came through and not always the Olympians are the best coaches. Sometimes we had new up-and-coming coaches coming mm-hmm. through the, the Pathways program, and there was so much that they, or different ideas and concepts that, that they had as well. So I just, everyone that came, I'm just like, what can I learn from you? What can yeah, I take yeah. from you? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Now, Annika, thinking about where you are now, what's been your biggest challenge? What was your biggest challenge that your mum didn't have enough money to buy your pony, or has there been other challenges since then? No. I mean, that wasn't so much the challenge per se. That was a core driver. That was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because Mm -hmm. that made me hungry. Yep. To be honest, the biggest challenge has actually been since I've – I I knew that I'd I'd loved being at NEGS, but I knew that I needed to grow more and I wanted to start my own business and really do more of the mindset coaching. Mm -hmm. And going from sort of just a full-time job that you loved, but having to start my own business and the bookwork, being in my office, having to – to actually sit down and, and spend time, and, and I'm so lucky my office is actually a sunroom and there's windows all around which look out over all the horse paddocks. And I'm just going, I just want to be out there outside with the horses. So that's probably having to um, keep myself in and really get the business up and going. And I'm in the process of writing a book at the moment, so there's a lot of hours sort of taking notes and, and doing that. And having to be still on a computer has been quite a challenge for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How do you think, because other people are in that situation, and I know it's hard because you want to work with horses, you want to be outside, and then a lot of times 
you create your own job. You do have to do that bookwork, you know, for compliance, insurance, all of that sort of stuff. You have to do it to be the best coach you can be or have the best business to do your right stuff. What do you think you would say then to someone that came to you with the problem about the bookwork? What can you do to minimise the effect and to maximise the, the time that you have with the horses? To start with, probably just a little sideline on that, I guess, is not being afraid of putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to a lot of the you know the blogs and, and information and things that I'm sort of putting online or putting out there, yep. to begin with, there was a lot of self-worth stuff. Is it yep. going to be good enough? How is it going to be taken? And there was a lot of that and having to really do my own personal development around I know that I'm good at what I do. I know that I'm passionate about what I do. And I know that there's going to be somebody out there that is going to get something from this. And just having that courage to put it out anyway, even if it's not perfect or if it's not going to suit everybody, Mm -hmm. it's going to suit somebody. And just being brave to get it out there anyway. Yeah. You're not going to please everybody, but you can certainly help plenty. And I had to change my associations around a lot of the, the book work as well, sort of Instead of going, oh, this is tough or this is hard, going, yep. well, actually, it's not. This is important. This is what's going to grow my business. This mm-hmm. is what's going to help me spend more time with the horses. So I had to really change my mindset and what a lot of that meant to me. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And then that changes the priorities. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about using the mindset and, you know, everything you've been doing with your coaching, what do you think is the most common fault that you see with your riders? Probably actually feeling their emotions and seeing it as this is it this is there's no way to shift or there's no way to go or there's no other choices or options so really helping them work through you know certainly working through fear when I work with some of the children and so forth they see fear as okay that's it I can't go any further mm-hmm. that's that's the line in the sand yep. and just helping them you know often I'll have a child that is quite worried about something and and will be just doing some exercises and I I say to them, okay, I want you to tell me when you're scared. I want you to say, I'm feeling a little scared now. And they really, really struggle to acknowledge the emotion. They would rather hide from it and pretend it's not there, but then it doesn't get them anywhere. So once they start to acknowledge it, and and often they'll say, I get scared when, and I'm like, no, no, I want you to tell me now as you're feeling it. And as soon as they feel it, it's that validation, it's acknowledgement. Yeah, you felt it fantastic and laugh and do something silly with it. So yeah, they then yeah. laugh. Yep. And as we go through that process, they're laughing and saying that they're fearful and they find that they're all of a sudden doing the things that they were afraid of and laughing and not actually realising <laughs> that they've done it. And then I can link to, hey, look what you just did. Yeah, and, that, and the courage doesn't always come from actually taking action. It's once you've taken the action that you get the courage. Yes, yeah, yeah. So helping people acknowledge and actually be okay with emotions that they feel and know that, you know, fear is important. That's what keeps us safe, essentially. Mm-hmm. But being able to use that to then drive us. Yeah, yeah. And really putting them in the moment, you know, making them recognise that it's now that I'm feeling it, not just when, yeah. Yeah, and not getting stuck in the emotion. And that could be frustration or sadness or... And even, you know, nothing means anything except the meaning that we give it. And often, say, on cross-country and a horse might stop, which, you know, it's very rarely ever about the jump, but the riders will then take it personally and make it about them. Mm. So then we might acknowledge that emotional where that came from and saying, well, hang on, it's actually not about you. You're making it something that it's not. 
let's have a look at what else it could mean. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it may be about the fence, it may be a ditch or, or something that the horse isn't confident yet, so then we might look at different schooling options to help that horse grow the confidence. Yep. But even just going, well, maybe it's actually coming back to how good is your right side? Are they running through the right reins so they're not staying straight? Or how good is your... You know, we often talk about appropriate responses to cues. So when mm-hmm. you're giving a cue, what is the appropriate response? And are you getting that appropriate response? And then if, if we're not getting that, then maybe we need to come back, sort that, and then we can come back to the fence. And that might only be a little exercise or just, just shifting something or, you know, moving a horse's body one way or another or just getting a clearer aid. Yep. And then we can come back to it. Yeah. 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 But not getting stuck in those emotions, being able to feel them, validate them, find out how you can learn from it, what it meant for you, and then moving on. Yep, good, good. Now, Annika, have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners, something that's going to complement their training? Yeah, well, there's there's two. There's Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffries and Move Closer, Stay Longer by Stephanie Burns, which are both really good just ways. I mean, they are around fear, essentially. They're both relatively similar, but just being able to acknowledge it and say, well, I'm, I'm feeling that this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to stay here with it for a little bit and then choose to move on and just stay there and just trying to move those thresholds a little bit. So, okay, this was my threshold. And the same thing with horses. We need to be so aware of their thresholds and find out where that is and then being able to go, okay, we're going to stay here for a little bit and we're going to come back. We're going to do something simple. Then we're going to go back to that threshold. We might push it only a little bit. Then we'll come back and being able to really find out where that is and then being able to manoeuvre and move those thresholds around a little bit. Mm-hmm. And recognising the threshold, that you know, where it is in yourself has got to help you when you're training horses, hasn't it? There's got to be some compliment there. Yeah, no question. No mm-hmm. question. Yeah. Annika, you talked about your own business, what are you looking forward to now? What do you, what are your plans in the next 12 months, two years? Well, certainly getting the book out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got yep. most of it written. And what sort of timeline are we looking at there? Oh, well, I'd like to have it done in the next six months. Okay. And do you have a title for the book yet or not? No, I don't. That's okay. No. <laughs> It's probably one of the things that I do need to do. And I'm I'm finding that the book keeps adapting and changing, which is probably partly why I haven't got it out because I'll be working with something and then I'm thinking, I need to put that in the book. I need a new chapter. So then I write the new chapter. (laughs) It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. (laughs) That's good. Okay, so Annika, can we get you to come back when you've written your book and we can um, talk about it, talk about it then? Oh, yeah. But I love to. Perfect. All right. Now, if you could sum up your philosophy with horses into a few sentences, that would be brilliant. Mainly just keep the horse at the forefront. And really, you can only go as fast as the horse can take you. So you can't push it past its threshold being just constantly aware of the horse. And and they are the number one. But always learning, growing and being willing to make failures, willing to make mistakes, because that's what's going to help you grow. Mm -hmm. And just always looking at, well, what else could this mean? Yes. And, yeah, just being okay to keep trying and, and just, just keep learning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that's growth good. is growing. Growth <laughs> is, uh, growing is glowing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, Annika, how can people contact you? Sure. So I have a website, chameleoncoaching.com.au. Yep. All right. Or they can email me at rangatera at gmail.com. Okay. And we'll put those details on your page, which will be horsechats.com slash Annika Overton or just go to horsechats.com and you can search for Annika which is A-N-N-Y-K-A 
or just search for Overton. I think you'll be able to find her there. So, Annika, thank you very much for talking to us today. Now, not only do we want you to come back and talk about your books, but we've talked about you coming back and talking a little bit more depth about the mindset coding, coaching and, um, you know, varieties, yeah. different ways of coaching. So I think for people, when uh, when your second interview is ready, we'll put it on that page. It'll be just Annika Overton. It'll be horsechats.com, Annika Overton 2, as soon as that's ready. Wonderful. I can't wait. So thanks very much for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Gwyneth. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.